Today's reading comes from uh, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up to a mountain. He sat down, and his disciples came to him. He taught them, saying, Happy are people who are hopeless, because the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Happy are people who grieve, for they will be made glad. Happy are people who are humble because they will inherit the earth. Happy are people who are hungry and thirsty for righteousness because they will be fed until they are full. Happy are people who show mercy because they will receive mercy. Happy are people who have pure hearts because they will see God. Happy are people who make peace because they will be called God's children. Happy are people whose lives are harassed because they are righteous, because the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Happy are you when people insult you and harass you and speak all kinds of false things about you, all because of me. Be full of joy and be glad because you have a great reward in heaven. In the same way, people harass the prophets who came before you. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, as promised last week, uh, today we are starting uh, a series that will take us really very close to Easter, actually, in the Sermon on the Mount. So the next eight weeks, well, eight plus seven more, or today plus seven more, uh, we will be in the Sermon on the Mount. So that's not part of the sermon. That's just a disclaimer. So, like, buckle up. Um, if you haven't in a while, read the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through the end of 7. Uh, it's good stuff, and we'll be there for a while. So anyway, that's just preface material. Um, so where we find Jesus today, at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, he's kind of gone through all the sort of preparatory things that we read about in the Gospels that precede sort of his wider ministry. Uh, all the Gospels record this in one way or another, where, where Jesus um, kind of shows up on the scene and, and he does some things. He calls disciples, he gets baptized, he goes to the wilderness to be tempted, right? And, and all that sort of takes place right before he enters into what we might call his public ministry, where, where he sets about going through the, crowd, through, the, through the cities and the towns of Galilee and begins to teach about the kingdom of God. And, and that's really where we find Jesus today. In, in, in Matthew, Matthew kind of has given the birth narratives. We've learned about Jesus' birth and the announcements and the wise men and all that fun stuff. We've, we've learned that, that Jesus and his family fled to Egypt and then came back and then settled to Nazareth, right? We've, we've learned that Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist. We've, we've learned about Jesus going into the wilderness to be tempted uh, by the accuser, by Satan. And, and as Jesus comes back from the wilderness, having um, at least t- for now conquered kind of the temptations that, that, that Satan has to offer of power without cost, um, Jesus comes to begin teaching in the towns and in the cities of Galilee. And, and as he's doing this, he calls disciples to follow him. Now, lots of people followed Jesus, but there were a few, um, mostly numbered in 12, sometimes 70, depending on where you're reading and and kind of what book you're in. Um, He had a close group, a closer group than some of the multitudes that followed him who were his disciples. And presumably, these disciples were the ones who kind of got the extra teaching, the ones whom Jesus was preparing to sort of take the message beyond just one person so that it could go out and be taught to more and more people. 
And so as Jesus is teaching in the towns, obviously the disciples are, are picking it up and, and followers are, are, are gathering around Jesus. And, and soon Jesus can't go anywhere without crowds of people following him. Now, this was the ancient world, and, and populations were less dense than they are now. So I'm not entirely sure what Matthew means by crowds, but it's a lot of people. And you can imagine Jesus walking through kind of Galilee from town to town to town, and, and these, these crowds of people, people numerous, are, are following after him, longing to hear what he has to say, um, longing to be touched and to be healed by him. Uh, and later on, we'll find longing for him to give them another meal. But they're all milling around and they're all following him. And, and so Jesus is kind of going around and he's got this groupie following. And it's great because people are hearing about the kingdom of God in their midst. And, and it's an exciting time. And so as we reach Matthew 5, Jesus kind of, it seems like he decides that it's time for him to take his disciples kind of on a retreat, so to speak. It's time for him to sit down with his inner circle, with the 12, and and to begin teaching them kind of the ins and outs of what he means when he says that the kingdom of God is near. And so in Matthew 5, we're told that Jesus grabs his disciples, and we know that the crowds are following him, but, but his disciples, his close ones, and he goes up kind of into the hill country of Galilee and begins to sit down and teach his disciples about the kingdom of God. By the way, the hill country around the Sea of Galilee is a wonderful place to, to have a classroom because this is what it looks like. So we can imagine here Jesus sitting down in, in, a, in a scene kind of like this. He's in the hill country. He's overlooking the Sea of Galilee. And his disciples, the 12, are kind of gathered around him. And, and kind of around that and down the hill, there's, there's people kind of everywhere milling around, talking. The crowds that are following him, waiting for Jesus to do something. In my mind, the crowds that follow Jesus are like the little kid. I don't know if you've seen The Incredibles. I have the clip somewhere. But... Um, where Mr. Incredible comes home from work and they know he's an incredible, right? He's a superhero. And the kid says, are you going to do something amazing? Right? What are you going to do? And just watching him all the time, waiting for, for what he, he's going to do. And, and I, I see the crowds like that, right? They have seen Jesus do amazing things, right? Some of his opening salvos in his ministry is to go into the synagogue at Capernaum and, and heal someone, right? And, and in Capernaum, people would bring him people to heal, and, and he would just do it right and left. He was healing. He was bringing life. He was, he was even proclaiming the forgiveness of sins, which is big and huge, right? Mark has that recorded where the paralytic is lowered through the ceiling, and, and Jesus says to him, first and foremost, your sins are forgiven. And the people are like, what? And then Jesus says, oh, well, do you think it's easier for me to do this or to say, get up and walk? The guy gets up and walks. Right? The people are waiting and expecting for him to do something amazing. And so as Jesus sits down, the crowds presumably listen intently. And Jesus begins to teach his disciples about the kingdom of God. And the Sermon on the Mount is, is what we have written down and recorded of Jesus, kind of his first and, and kind of most complete teaching about about the kingdom of God, about ministry, and, and presumably aimed primarily at his disciples, but also to all those who would follow after him. And so we begin the Sermon on the Mount in this passage that we call the Beatitudes. Beatitude is just an Englishization of the Latin, which means to be blessed. 
There's a Greekized version I could give you too, but it's not terribly important at this point. But the Beatitudes. And the Beatitudes are interesting because they're in a position in, in the Sermon on the Mount that, that if we read the Sermon on the Mount and if we're paying attention to the Sermon on the Mount, we see that the Beatitudes are kind of like an, an introduction into the, the material that will come. The Beatitudes are sort of this, this opening kind of descriptor of the people and the life of the kingdom that will be fleshed out in the next two chapters in this long extended teaching on the kingdom of God. As you may know, beatitude means blessed. Uh, the word that, that, is, that is written in the Greek here actually can also be translated as we read in the contemporary English version as happy. Same kind of language. Now, the, the beatitude was not an unknown or brand new thing when Jesus came in Matthew 5. In fact, you'll, you'll hear next Sunday morning, our, our opening scripture is, happy are those who, Psalm 1, it's a beatitude. It, it was a known kind of thing in the world of, of describing what it means to be blessed or who the blessed ones are or what it looks like to be blessed by God. Now, now, when I was thinking about this, this week especially, I, I began to think about what does our culture consider blessed? And, and so I did um, something that some of you may have done. Um, I went ahead and I looked up the hashtag blessed on Instagram. I don't necessarily recommend this search. Um, awful lot of beach photos. Um, but it began to be curious, because I have an idea of what our culture deems as blessed. And so I was curious, kind of what people, when they said, hey, I'm blessed, what kind of things that they were talking about? Here are some of the major hits that I saw. Right? Hashtag blessed. You have the guy in the middle there sitting in front of his Ferrari with his Mercedes G-Wagon in the background. Hashtag blessed. Right? I have... I, I just want to be honest. I have no doubt that those folks believe that they are blessed. And I also have no doubt that many of us, if not most of us, might consider ourselves blessed if I were able to sit in front of a Ferrari and a Mercedes G-Wagon and say they were mine. Right? This is what our culture believes is blessed by God. And you have the, the sort of the requisite you know, out the plane window picture, right? Hashtag blessed. Those who take vacations are blessed, right? And again, I, I don't, I'm not knocking them per se. This is what our culture believes is blessed. When you go on vacation to somewhere you've wanted to go, do you feel pretty good and blessed and happy? Sure. And you have, you know, the person in front of the Eiffel Tower in Paris, right? Yeah, that's sure. Hashtag blessed or or the puppies. There was quite a few puppy and cat photos on there. Um, I don't know, right? Many of you feel blessed by your pets. That's great. You know, the beach photos. Like if we were to th really think about it, about our culture and, and even ourselves, let's be honest, about what we think it means to be blessed by God, I suspect many of us would identify with some of these pictures or our pictures would look like it. I got the opportunity to go to Disneyland with my family when I was on sabbatical. That felt like a blessing. I was pretty happy. 
We enjoyed it. It was the, the trip itself was a gift. The time was a gift, right? Did I feel blessed? Sure. We think about what our culture defines as blessed. I am not going to be blessed if I trip over that. You might be, but I won't. If we think about the things that our culture deems as blessed or as blessings, you might think money, right? The ability to take cool trips, new cars, pets that are nice to us, right? Cat owners are a little iffy on that one. Eiffel Tower, beach photos, right? All these things. Those who are rich, powerful, influential. We look at those people and those situations, and like it or not, our culture says that is what it means to be blessed. And so we might think going into Jesus' description of the kingdom of God, of blessing, that that's what it means to be blessed. Perhaps if you would have asked the crowds, what does it mean to be blessed in that day and in that age? They may have said some of these types of things, right? New fishing boat for the guys on the Sea of Galilee, right? A little more money in the pocket. These are the people who are blessed by God. But if, well, we don't have to read carefully. Just in reading this description of the blessed life that Jesus gives at the opening of the Sermon on the Mount, we might notice there's some discrepancies between culture's lists and the list that Jesus gives. Jesus doesn't say, blessed are those who get to go on vacations. Or God has blessed those who are wealthy. Doesn't say God has, has blessed those who, who get to go to Paris. Paris was a much different place in the first century. I get it. Jesus gives us a list that looks very, very different. In fact, Jesus lists a lot of people who, if we're honest, we wouldn't say, yeah, that's blessing. Blessed are those who mourn. We might have compassion for those who mourn. We might feel bad for those who mourn. We might want to help those who mourn and be there with them. But very, very seldom will any of us say that those people in mourning are blessed. Am I right? Blessed are the meek. We might look at the meek with compassion, with love. But very rarely will we say that those who actively avoid the conflict are the ones who are blessed. Those who are able to assert themselves and get what they need, those are the blessed people, are they not? Jesus' list looks different than our list or the list of the world and culture around us. Remember what the Beatitudes are. They are a description of the kingdom of God and what life looks like in the kingdom of God. You may remember last week, if you were here, if you saw the sermon, that we talked about that that Jesus starts his ministry in, in Nazareth talking about those whom God has helped in the past. And he lists people who aren't on the inside, who are on the outside. He, he lists people who, who, who were suffering. He, he lists people who were sick. 
He, he lists people who, who wouldn't be traditionally understood as those on whose side God was on. Right? People of Israel said God's on Israel's side and everyone else sort of gets overflow blessing. But what Jesus says at Nazareth is God intentionally went to, to this, this widow who was a Gentile and, and helped her when there were plenty of people starving in Israel. And, and God helped this, this commander of the enemy because he had leprosy. But there were a lot of people with leprosy in Israel and the people got mad at him. Why? Because the wrong people were being blessed by God. And so what we have in the Beatitudes is Jesus teaching about the kingdom but a kingdom that looks very, very different in how it operates than the kingdom in which the people were used to, whether it be the kingdoms of Israel or the kingdom of Rome, of which they were a part at this point. But one thing I do want to say about the Beatitudes that I think is important here, in these 12 verses, we are to understand them as what I would say is descriptive rather than prescriptive. Notice what Jesus does not say. Be more X, be more Y, be more Z. Jesus doesn't say, be more hungering and thirsting after righteousness. Now that may be true that we should, but, but at this point, Jesus isn't saying that's what is needed. These are descriptive of the kind of people who inhabit the kingdom of God and the kind of people who are blessed by God or who can count themselves blessed by God, rather than telling people to be this or do that. Now, there is plenty of be this, do that in the, in the Sermon on the Mount, okay? If you're wanting that, stick around. The next seven weeks will be a lot like that. Jesus says, be more, do more, do this. This is how we act. But here, it's descriptive of the kingdom of God. It's descriptive of the kind of people who might call themselves blessed in the kingdom of God. If they were Instagram posts, it might be something like this. Blessed are those who mourn. Got crying girl up there. Blessed are the meek. Got hiding behind the table. Right? Blessed are the persecuted. Right? The bullied. I don't know about you. I mean, I'm, I'm a fairly regular user of Instagram and Facebook and, and, and Twitter, and, and I don't see these posts very often. Right? When someone says, I lost my father today, we don't see hashtag blessed, generally. Why? We don't consider ourselves blessed when we mourn. But, but what Jesus is, is saying here is that in the kingdom of God, those are the kind of people whom God helps they can consider themselves blessed, not because they lost someone. Why? Because God will bring comfort. You might remember the words of the prophet Isaiah, comfort, O oh comfort my people. That is what God comes to do, to bring comfort. And if God intervenes, then surely we, in whatever way God intervenes, can count ourselves blessed. Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Is it because they're hungry or thirsting? In, in Luke, Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst. Doesn't add the righteousness part. Is there any virtue in being hungry or thirsty? Not necessarily. But for those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, righteousness is from God. And it, Jesus says they're blessed. Why? Not because they hunger and thirst, but because God will fill them. And where God intervenes, there is blessing. 
the meek stand helpless before God. They know that sustenance, that that life, that that power is not intrinsic to themselves, but it is from God. They stand open-handed before God and those who stand open-handed before God. Not only are they given good things from God, but what Jesus says is the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as them. Those who have nothing and recognize it receive more and more and more from God. Blessed are the peacemakers. In our world, the peacemakers are not blessed. At least not in the way that peacemaking is understood in Scripture. Right? Our, our idea of peacemaker, I, I haven't seen the show, but I know what it's about. There's a, there's a show on, on HBO called The Peacemaker about a guy who says, I will bring peace by any violent means necessary. But that's how our world thinks, right? We bring peace by violence. Peace comes at the person who has the largest army, the biggest show of force, the moral high ground, so to speak. But Jesus says, blessed are those who make peace. Not who ignore, not who sit in a corner, but who actively work for peace. These are the folks who are in the midst, who are in between warring armies. Not saying, if you breach this, I will kill you, but saying, stop, there's been enough killing. Our world says it's the bellicose, those who bring war well, who make peace, who are blessed. Jesus says it looks somewhat different than that, as we see and will see from his life, his death, and his resurrection. The kingdom of God looks vastly different than the kingdoms of the world. You might say that the kingdom of God is the world turned upside down. Some some of you may have seen, well, there's three seasons of the show, Stranger Things, right? The premise of the show is that there is a world and then there is an upside down. And the upside down is where the bad things are. It's like our world. It's a shadow of our world, but it, it, it's, it's bad. It's cold. It's, life is poor, brutal, and short. I would venture to say that what Jesus is saying is we're living in the upside down. We're living in a world. It's a shadow world. It's not the reality that God has created. We're living in the world that, that operates on different rules than the kingdom of God. And, and what Jesus has come to say and come to bring and what God has been trying to do from the beginning is to say the world should look different. And in short, Jesus says, I come not to turn the world upside down, but to turn the world right side up. to write things the way they should be. For we've become lost. We've somehow turned upside down. I've heard this story, and if you're a pilot, you can tell me if I'm right or wrong, but I've heard a story that sometimes when pilots fly in clouds and they don't rely on the instruments that show them what their attitude is, they will come out of the clouds flying upside down because there's no horizon, right? And not even know it. Perhaps that is what happens to us. To the world we see. 
It's a world created by God. In fact, when God created the world, what did he say about it? It is good. And about humanity, it's real good. Somehow we've gotten turned upside down. And Jesus comes to describe not the world turned upside down, but the world turned right side up. I might call it the upside down kingdom of God. The kingdom where the wrong people are all blessed. And what Jesus has come to do, and what Jesus does by his life, his death, his resurrection, by his teaching, by all the things that he does, is he begins to unveil this shadow world and show and shine a light on the real world that God has created and the way that God has created us to live and to be in this world. We get glimpses of this in several places in Scripture. Uh, one of those places is actually, last week we were, we ta- I talked about um, Naaman the leper. That's in 2 Kings 5. And, and, and in 2 Kings 6, there's another story where the armies of Aram, by the way, just Naaman was an Aramean general. So it's quite possible he comes and again, and again invades Israel in chapter 6 of 2 Kings. But anyway, what happens is, is there's this, this just worry about these invading armies and and. And Elisha sends out his servant, his name is Gehazi, and he says, hey, go out there and look to the mountains. And Elisha prays that God would open his eyes. And God opens the eyes of Gehazi, and what he sees is the Lord, the heavenly host, kind of arrayed around. And essentially what Elisha says, this is the army that is fighting for the people of Israel. This is the world as it is. We just can't see it. And God opens the eyes of the Aramean armies, and they see it as well. The world turned right side up. The world shown as it is, not necessarily as it should be, but is as it is. The shadow world is unveiled, and God shines a light on the world of the kingdom of God. The book of Revelation is this, by the way. That's what's going on there. It's God shining a light on the things and the kingdoms of the world, the, the kingdoms of the people go, oh, this is wonderful, this is great. Rome is prosperous and brings us money. God turns on the light. God opens the eyes. God shines a light, opens the curtain so that people see Rome is not this beautiful woman. Rome is a harlot on top of a beast, leading people away from who they're called to be. Jesus comes to shine a light and to show us the kingdom of God, the world as it should be. To describe the people who are blessed in this world turned right side up. Which is great because it means that people like you and me are blessed. That even if we never leave Longview, we can say we're blessed. Hashtag blessed. That when we come to God empty handed saying, I have nothing else to bring, guess what? You are blessed. For we need nothing else but, as we have sung this morning, but Christ. We have all we need, and it does not come from us. I don't need to go on my own power. I don't need to go because I'm so smart. Right? All you know that I'm not that smart. I'm I'm not that influential. I don't have that great of ideas. What's great is I don't have to, and you don't have to. Why? Because God has and is all we need. That God leads us by God's Spirit. 
that God knows which way is best, and we operate best as we are emptied and allow ourselves to be filled by the person, the kingdom of God, by the spirit that is in us. The Beatitudes, at this point, are not saying go and do these things, but reminding us that, guess what? You are blessed too. This is a kingdom in where all the wrong people are blessed because God includes all. The right people, the wrong people, and everyone in between. And then invites us to live in ways that are shaped and formed by that kingdom. And perhaps that's one of the important things to note. Again, right now he's not saying be or this or do this, but as he goes on, he will begin to describe the kind of things we ought to be involved in, the ways we ought to be living in the world, the things that we are and ought to be doing that form us and shape us in the ways of God's kingdom and not the kingdoms of the world, the ways in which the, the right-side-up kingdom form us, and it oftentimes will put us at odds with the kingdoms of the world around us. Blessed are you when you are persecuted for my sake. When people slander you and say all kinds of evil against you. Why? Because people who are formed by the kingdom of God often find themselves out of step with the kingdoms of the world. All the good things that the world says are most important, right? Money, power, fame, influence. God says those things don't matter. And when we say we don't need those things, in fact, we will shun those things doesn't often look good from the outside perspective. People don't like those who are out of step with the common values. People don't like it when we say, I'm blessed when I mourn. But this is how we're called to live as people of the kingdom of God, to be formed by his kingdom. And we could know that even when we are persecuted for following that kingdom, it's not a sign that we are doing wrong. Rather, it is a sign that perhaps we're on the right track. Because that's how the people of God have been treated throughout history. Those who have most vocally called out the illusions of the kingdom of the world, the, the, the upside down, who have called out the darkness that is not supposed to be in God's world and God's kingdom, those people are the ones who are killed. I got clever on, uh, I missed it, anyway. I got clever on the last one, right? Blessed are those who are persecuted, and I, I, I don't know, you might be able to read it. I made it, it liked by Isaiah, by Ezekiel, by Jeremiah. Why? Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, the prophets. When they said, wait, this is now how things ought to be. God's kingdom is different. What happened to them? Not good things, <laughs> Right? Jeremiah was called the weeping prophet because no one listened. When Isaiah said to God, how long do I have to preach this counter message to what the people think? God says, until there is destruction. They are rejected, and oftentimes prophets are. From Elijah to Ezekiel to Isaiah, all the way down to John the Baptist and Jesus Christ. Those who have said, this is not how the world ought to be. This is different from what God has created. Those who dare to say, blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the hungry. They're often killed. Metaphorically, sometimes literally. But the good news is this. 
And I think where Jesus is going, again, descriptively in this is to say, guess what? It may hurt for the time being, but know that you are blessed, that the kingdom of God is yours. That you are in good company with the prophets and yes, even the savior of the world when you are persecuted for doing what is right and what is good. Because you are blessed when you hunger and thirst. You are blessed when you make peace. You are blessed even when you mourn. Why? For God sees and God speaks and God is present even in the midst of these things. There may be hardship, but one of these things is they are future-oriented. They're present-oriented, but also future-oriented. One of the things that Jesus proclaimed and we proclaim as those who follow him is that there is a kingdom that is coming in its fullness where God's way is manifest and evident to all. And we proclaim and say, even if it hurts now, we will proclaim and live in that kingdom for that kingdom is the way of righteousness. For to live is Christ, to die is gain. For it does not come by my power, my strength, my influence, or my money, but it comes by Christ who has done these things and in whose kingdom we dwell It means we don't have to become rich to be blessed. We don't have to go to Paris to be blessed. You don't have to drive a G-Wagon. If you do, that's great, but you don't have to. I can be blessed by driving my Kia. Thanks be to God, right? (laughs) The poor, the hungry, they're not left out or abandoned by God. They too are blessed. For Christ is all and is in all. And gives himself to all who would receive. And in that we can and should rejoice. And so we're going to end today by singing um, that last song that we did before prayer time. Declaring. Declaring this kingdom that, that is upside down from the world as we see it right now. But, but that we proclaim is actually right side up. The way things ought to be. The way things should be. And we declare and proclaim that we will live by that kingdom, no matter what it brings. And that we too will proclaim blessed on those who our world doesn't say are blessed. Because to those, such as those, belong the kingdom of God.